Well, today I want to talk to you guys about sin. Hmm, look at someone and say, it's about to get uncomfortable. You know, it's so interesting in our Christian walk uh, how sin is this kind of this part of our faith that we have to learn how to deal with, right? I mean, I don't know how many of you gave your lives to Jesus and then the next day you woke up and you were just sinless and perfect. Hey, did that happen to anyone? Because let me know, I want to touch you, right? Because, right, this just, it's not what happens. I wish, I wish it would be so nice if we gave our hearts to the Lord and then the next day we just got out of bed and, you know, we had a halo on us and we're just singing with the angels and we just lived perfectly right and we just did no wrong. I wish it was the case, but unfortunately what we see is that sin is this kind of this battle that we have in our lives. And, and, and we know some truth about sin and yet we still struggle with this thing called sin. And so I want us to try and make sense of that struggle today. I want us to try and make sense of this battle I love that scripture doesn't kind of hide the fight. It gets very vulnerable. In fact, this piece of scripture from Romans chapter 7, uh, from verse 15, I love what Paul does here because he really kind of exposes what I think a lot of us think secretly. Right? He says these words. I don't really understand myself. Can I get an amen? I mean, just that alone would kind of like be enough, right? <laughs> I don't always understand myself for... For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, so I'm not the one doing the wrong. It's a sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing the wrong. It's a sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle in life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. (laughs) Can we give Paul a hand for his vulnerability there? How often have we not felt the same? You kind of look at yourself and like, are you kidding me? Am I not over this already? Why am I dealing with this again? Why am I going through this again? I know the good things I should do, and yet I'm not doing them. And I know what I shouldn't do, and yet that is what I'm doing. And we have this struggle with sin, and yet we know that, like, hasn't Jesus paid for this stuff? Hasn't he dealt with this? Is sin even an issue? Can I even still sin as a Christian? And we just go down this loophole, and often we're just stuck with so many questions about sin and our faith. And then how does the Holy Spirit, the one who's with us now, our advocate and our helper and our counselor, like how does he help us in this sin thing that we deal with every day? Well, today I want us to unpack a few truths about sin that hopefully can better our understanding in our own struggle. And the first truth about sin is this, and it's beautiful. You were not saved because you were sinless. You were saved because Jesus is sinless. You were not saved because somehow you were living perfectly and God looked at you with admiration in his eyes and said, wow, you must be my child. Come and be part of my family. You are knocking it out of the park. Like you weren't living so righteously and so well that God looked and said, wow, there is a righteous one on earth. Come and be part of my family. No, 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 no. (laughs) 
You are not saved because somehow you figured out how to be sinless. You are saved in spite of your sin. You are saved because Jesus figured out how to be sinless on your behalf. Look at these words in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. It says, for it is by grace. Everyone say, by grace. It's by grace you have been saved, church, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God. It is not by works. Thank the Lord so that no one can boast, so that no one can say, look at me. I am worthy of the love of Jesus. I am worthy of being saved. No one can say, hey, I have done so many good things. I am worthy to be called a child of God. I have figured it out. I am sinless. I'm righteous on my own. No, 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 no. It is a gift. The righteousness you've been given is a gift. If anything, the Bible in the Old Testament is given to us as proof that mankind cannot do it on their own. You cannot live righteous no matter what systems are put in place. No matter how hard you try, you cannot live sinless. It's proof. And then Jesus comes. And when Jesus is teaching about this new kingdom, he ups the standard. He doesn't lower the standard of the Old Testament. He ups it. And now he says things like, even if you look at someone lustfully, you're committing adultery in your heart. Oh, my word. Even if you're angry at a brother, it's as good as murder. Oh, my word. And you realize I've murdered so many people. Right? You just, what Jesus did is he lifted the level of righteousness so you could look at that and say, oh, my word, I'm really not righteous. I really don't meet the standard. And so Jesus gave you his righteousness. He gave it to you. It's a gift. Look at these words in Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been made righteous through all your efforts and striving. Oh, sorry, that's a wrong translation. Through his faithfulness, church, you have been made righteous through the faithfulness of Jesus. Now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have access by faith into this grace in which we stand through him. And we boast now. Not of our own accord and our own goodness and righteousness. We boast what? In the hope of God's glory. There's that word boast again. If you want to boast about something, don't boast that you're getting life so right and you're sinning so little. No, no, no. Boast in the sinless work, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Boast in the fact that you realize you needed a Savior and you found Him and His name is Jesus Christ. Boast in the fact that the work was done on your behalf. Don't boast about you. Boast about Jesus Boast about what Jesus has done. Boast about the cross. This is our gift. You were not saved because somehow you were sinless. You were saved in spite of your sin. You were saved because Jesus, he's sinless. And that makes him righteous, church. And he gives his righteousness to you as a gift. First truth about our sin. Second truth about our sin is that your sins are no longer held against you. In fact, even when God describes what love is in 1 Corinthians 13, he says that love holds no record of wrongdoing. And guess who is love, by the way? God is love. Your sins are no longer held against you. Look at these words in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, all of these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. 
Your sins are not held against you. Isn't this a beautiful promise? Here's the truth, guys. All of your sin, all the things you did this weekend, all the things you did this morning, all of you who shouted at your kids on the way to church, all of you who walked in here with a bit of a headache because you were partying really hard last night, all of you who sent your spouses a snotty SMS, like a WhatsApp SMS, what am I, in 1990? <laughs> all of you guys who have sinned since you woke up today, your sins are not held against you. Do you know that every one of those sins deserve punishment? Every single one of those deserve punishment. And we told the wages of those sin is death. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to die. Your sins have already been paid for. Look at someone and say, my sins have been paid for. We're free, church. We're free. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Your sins are not held against you. There's not a ledger that God keeps referring to. Hey, 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 hey. No, no, no. It's paid for. Your sins have been paid for. They're not held against you. Third truth about our sin is that you have been set free from its power. You are free from the power of sin. Look at someone and say, I'm free from sin's power. All of us in this room have been set free from its power, from its captivity, from its hold. In fact, what scripture says is we're free from is its slavery. It was once the master over us, but Jesus changed the power. He took the power of sin away and he defeated it. Listen to these words in the book of Romans chapter 6 from verse 6. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ. Guys, it's dead. That sinful self is dead. So that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from what? The power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. And when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Everyone say, consider yourself. In other words, Scripture is saying this is a mind shift. This is a belief. This is an act of faith. I have to consider myself dead to sin. All the things that entrap me, all the things that I couldn't get free of, all the habitual sins in my life that I think has power over me, I have to consider myself dead to all those things and free from the power of sin. The power of sin has been defeated in our lives and you do not anymore have to be a slave to sin. Jesus has removed sin as your master. You are free from its power because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so as these truths start to take root in our hearts and as we start to really believe them, right, as we start to realize, man, this thing called sin, I'm not saved because I'm sinless. I'm saved because Jesus is sinless. As we start to realize that my sins have been paid for, they're not held against me, that I'm free from its power. If you sit on that truth long enough, you're going to start going down a rabbit hole that all of us go through. You start to think, well, then does it even matter if I sin? Can I even sin? Should I even repent? Jesus has already paid for it. Right as you sit on just those truths, you can start to just go down a rabbit hole and you think, well, then I can just sin, right? I can just live as I want. 
And I love that scripture knows you're going to do this. So it answers that question right on the nose. It's really specific about it. It tells us this in the book of Romans, chapter 6, from verse 1. It says, well then, should we just keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? And then you can almost hear Paul saying, of course not, you idiot, right? Like, no, no, of course not. Why? Because we have died to sin. That nature has been crucified on the cross. So how can we live in something that's dead? You have, been, you have died to sin, so how can you continue to live in it? If it's truly dead in your life, how can it still be alive? And so this teaches us the fourth truth about sin that's really important for us to get balance. It's this, because you have been set free from sin's power, now you're called to live righteously. Because sin is no longer your master, you're no longer a slave to it, it means that you have now the power to live righteously. Because sin doesn't have hold on you. Because sin has lost its power, you've been called to live righteous. We have to remember that Jesus has set us free from the power of sin. And to do that, it cost him his life. And he did not do that so that you could keep on enjoying the sin and living it and indulging in it. In fact, Scripture is very clear in the book of Romans chapter 6. It goes on to say from verse 12, it says, Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, do this, church. Give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have a new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master. For you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, again, he says, since God grace has set us free from the Lord, does it mean we can just go on sinning? Of course not, he says again. Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God. And that leads to what, church? Righteous living. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin. And you have become slaves to what? Righteous living. The Bible teaches us that when power loses its sin, when sin loses its power over you, you no longer live in a sinful lifestyle. You've been called to righteous living. And one of the things the devil will do is he will lie to you. And he'll make you believe that you are in fact not free to sin's power. He'll make you believe that somehow you can't get free of that addiction. That you can't break free from that lust. That you can't escape that, that temptation. He, he'll make you believe that you're caught, that you're trapped, that you're bound. But I want you to remember Megan Trainer wrote a song about the devil. You know that? Yes. If your lips are moving... Then you're lying, lying, lying. You know that song? You know it's about the devil, I believe? He's a liar. He's a liar. Every time his lips move, he's lying. And if he can get you to believe that you are bound by your sin, that you can't break free, that you are trapped, guess what you're doing? You stop fighting. 
You stop even resisting him because <laughs> you believe the battle is already lost. He wants you to believe that you're trapped in your sin. But the truth is you have been set free from the power of sin. And you are called to live righteously. You are called to right living with God. In fact, Paul goes on when he's writing to the church in Philippi. He says this in Philippians 1, chapter 10, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. It says, for I want you to understand what really matters. And I love he's like emphasizing this. Like, guys, this really matters, right? He says, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. What's the fruit of your salvation? This is the evidence that you're saved. The proof that you're a Christian. And what is the evidence that you're saved? The proof that you're a Christian. The fruit of your salvation. He says it's your righteous character. Your character becomes righteous. It starts to live rightly. Produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and much praise to God. And so as we see that we still sin. And yet we're not saved because we stop sinning. And that sin has lost its power over us and God doesn't kind of sin against us. And yet we're called to righteous living because of that. I think the question starts to come, so how do we stop sinning? Like how do we stop this thing that we kind of feel trapped in? Is there any help? And if you were here last week, you would have learned that part of the function of the Holy Spirit is to help you. Do you believe he'll help you be more righteous? Absolutely, church. In fact, we're going to see today that one of the main functions of the Holy Spirit in your life is to help you live righteously. The Holy Spirit, He guides us towards righteousness. And that's the next truth that you and I need to hold on to. The Holy Spirit guides you towards righteousness. His activity in your life is going to guide you away from the sin, the unrighteous things, and it's going to guide you towards righteousness. Why? Because his goal at all times is to transform you not into the pattern of this world, but into the image of Jesus Christ, the one who knew no sin. He's going to guide you as he's active in your life. He's going to guide you away from the sin and towards righteousness. Listen to these words in Galatians 5 from verse 13. It says, for you've been called to live in freedom, my dear brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Who's going to guide our lives? The Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit guides your lives, look what it says next then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. How do we break free from the habit of sin? We lean into the guidance of the Holy Spirit as He guides our lives, as He determines our steps, as He's the one who tells us what to do and where to do it and how to do it and what to say and what to think. As He guides our lives, He starts to guide us away from sin. And it guides us towards righteousness so that we will no longer be doing what our sinful nature craves. It goes on to say, the sinful nature wants you to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite 
of what the sinful nature desires. I want us to pause there for a moment because do you realize that part of the Holy Spirit's activity in your life is to give you godly desires? He has the power, if you let him, to change your desires. Some of you, you've already experienced this in your life. And the people that you used to sin with are very confused by this. The people that you used to drink with on the weekend, they don't understand what's happened to you now because you don't have that same desire. The people that you used to hang around with and use certain words and expressions and phrases, they're a little bit confused because you don't have that same desire. The people that you used to watch things with, the people that you used to be on, on WhatsApp groups with, where they would send, the, send those like sketchy videos and images, you know what I mean? They're confused that you no longer want to be on that group. What's happened? The Holy Spirit is part of his activity in your life. He's changing your desires and he's guiding your desires away from sin and towards righteousness. He does this in our lives. It's part of his activity. He goes on to say from verse 17, these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Listen, church. Do you know that when you become saved, you step into a battlefield and suddenly there's this war inside of you. There's this battle inside of you that you maybe didn't have before you were a Christian. Because before you were a Christian, you did these things and it didn't bother you. And now you become a Christian and suddenly you're bothered by all these things you were doing and you're like, ah, why does this bug me? Why do I feel guilty about this? Why, 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 why? I don't, I, I used to do this and not feel bad. Why? What's happened? You've just stepped into a battlefield. Suddenly your spirit's been made alive through the Holy Spirit who's leading you towards righteousness, but it's fighting your flesh and your sinful nature and the temptation of the devil who prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour you and trap you. You're in this battle. These two forces are constantly battling each other and you're probably going to experience that battle until you die. We're in this battle. From verse 18, it says, but, everyone say, but, when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. And I love this, church. We're not living some kind of obedient lifestyle because we've put ourselves back under the law. No, no, no. We live in obedience because now we're following the guidance of the Holy Spirit. It says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Sound familiar? He says, let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit, everyone say Holy Spirit, He produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. I love this, that as the Holy Spirit is active in our lives now, He moves us away from sin. 
and he moves us towards righteousness. And one of the ways he does this is he reforms our character, our soul, our thinking, our emotions. In fact, he starts to grow what Paul would call the fruit of the Spirit in you. Do you know that the fruit of the Spirit grows in you to make you more righteous and to make you sin less? Look at it. I'm going to become more loving. Well, all the commands can be wrapped up in love, loving God and loving one another. I become more joyful. I become more at peace. I become more patient. I become more self-controlled. Do you know what self-control means? It's the ability to control self. Who gives you that ability? The Holy Spirit grows self-control in you. Now suddenly, where I used to sin all the time by getting angry all the time, where I used to sin all the time by swearing at everyone in traffic and wanting to slap the lady at home affairs, right? Now suddenly what happens, the Holy Spirit, He leads me towards righteous living because He grows in me patience. Oh, and joy, and goodness, and gentleness, and faithfulness, and self-control. As he reforms my character, I sin less and I live a more righteous lifestyle, not because of my work, but this is what the Holy Spirit does. He guides us away from sin and towards righteous living. All the fruit of the Spirit are given to make you more righteous, to live more righteous. In fact, all of you today, if you're a Christian in this room, if you're a Christian watching or listening, the only way you became a Christian was because the Holy Spirit did this. There was a moment in your spirit where you felt like you needed to, for the first time maybe, I need to move away from sin and towards righteousness. For the first time, there was this enlightenment. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. The Bible says the only one who can give that enlightenment is the Holy Spirit. In John 14, we're told that part of the function of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world, the unbelievers of their sin, to convict them of the righteousness of Jesus. In other words, there's this moment where I realize I'm a sinner and I need Jesus' righteousness. And you know who does that work in our lives? The Holy Spirit. You, if you are a Christian, you've already experienced that work in your life. Only He could get you to that point. In fact, I believe with all my heart that some of you today, under the sound of my voice right now, that the Holy Spirit wants to do that with you today. He's enlightening something in you where you are realizing, man, I'm a sinner and I'm not going to get to heaven by being sinless. No one does. I need a Savior. There's some of you today, I believe, that the Holy Spirit's putting something in you where you are realizing, I want to be a Christian. I want to be part of that family. I want the saving work. I want that grace that Jesus gives me. And I'm going to give you an opportunity a little bit later to pray a prayer and accept the gift of salvation. The Holy Spirit leads you towards righteous living. And that takes me to the sixth truth, which for some people might be quite hard to swallow. But it's this. Living in sin grieves the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a, there's a lot spoken about grieving the Spirit. In fact, in my Christian experience, people would normally speak about grieving the Spirit 
in church services when people say, you missed it or you didn't listen to it or we didn't flow enough. You've grieved the Spirit. And yet, in the one section in the Bible that speaks about grieving the Spirit, that is not what it was talking about at all. You know what it's speaking about? Living a sinful lifestyle. Do you know that that grieves the Holy Spirit? Let's go there in Ephesians 4. And I love that it's in the book of Ephesians, by the way. Because it's the same book that just two chapters before told us that we are not saved in Ephesians 2. We're not saved by works. We're saved through grace so that no man can boast. You, you keep on going on with the theology. You keep on going on. And we land up in Ephesians 4, just two chapters on. And Paul is saying this to the church of Ephesus in verse 17. He says, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Man, what a great disclaimer. If you weren't sure, this is with the authority of the Lord. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life of God because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from Him, Throw off your old sinful nature and the former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, everyone say instead. It says, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we're all part of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And if you're a thief, quit stealing. Pretty simple, right? Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And don't bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit. How, church? By the way you live, your translation there of the Bible might have used the word grieve. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit by the way you live. It says, remember, He has identified you as His own, guaranteeing that you'll be saved on the day of redemption. So get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and harsh words and slander and all these types of evil behavior instead be kind to one another and tenderhearted and forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It grieves the Spirit of God. When we engage willfully in sinful behavior, you know why? It's because He's in you. He's with you while you do it. He watches you. Your spirit and his spirit have been made one. You are one with Christ. And so we have a member of the Trinity who actively watches us engage in the very sin Jesus died to set us free from. We have a member of the Trinity who watches us engage in sinful practice, the very same sin that Jesus has put to death. Jesus has crucified. The Holy Spirit always leads us towards righteous living and it grieves him when you and I just engage in sinful living. We've already seen in this series that this whole, the Holy Spirit is a counselor to us. He's a helper to us. He's a teacher and he reminds us of the words of Jesus. As we go through our lives, that's what he's gonna be doing. 
He's going to be giving us good counsel on how to live and how to treat people. He'll be guiding us towards righteousness, reminding us of the word, reminding us there's a better way, reminding us of holy living, reminding us of righteousness. This is the part, part of the Holy Spirit's activity in your life today is to make you more righteous. He wants to lead you away from the sin. And as we start to realize that, yes, I'm set free from sin, but I'm still called to righteousness, we start to become stuck between two truths. The one truth is that I'm sinning, and I have sinned today. And the other truth is I'm free from its power. And it's in this space, this tension that we live with, that the devil sometimes, he has a field day with us. Because you know what he comes to do in this space as you sin? Whew. He comes to pile on the guilt and the shame and the condemnation. The devil has a goal in your life. He's had it since the Garden of Eden. He wants to separate you from God. But Jesus caused a big problem for the devil. Because suddenly your sin could no longer separate you from God. Before the cross, all he had to do was make you sin, right? And now there's a separation, but then Jesus came and he took that away and he paid for all the sin. And so here the devil has a problem. How does he cause separation between you and God if he can no longer cause you to sin and that brings a separation? Well, the devil might not be able to make sin separate you from God, but you know what he can do? He can just cause you to separate you from God. And you know how he does this? He makes you feel so bad about your sin and your mistakes. He hits you over the head. He points to it. He reminds you of it. He throws it in your face. He highlights it. He shouts to the world how bad you are. And as the awareness of your sin comes to light, the guilt and the shame makes you hide from God. And you bring separation. A great example of this is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. In that moment of real realization of that first sin, when they realize what they've done, they hide. They go hide in the garden. Oh no, God cannot see me in this state. He cannot know what I've done. Let's hide, let's hide. Church, we might not anymore hide behind palm trees and gardens, but we still hide from God. If the devil can make you feel bad enough about your sin, you will hide. And how do we hide? Well, it takes a while before we have the courage to pray again. We feel really bad about even worshiping God because we know he saw us when we did that thing. We're really reserved about coming to the word because what's it help anyway? I'm still living and doing the same things. I'm hesitant about coming into church because what if the roof caves in? I avoid my group of friends at my circle because what if they ask me a question and I have to be honest about how I'm living. And so we retreat out of relationship with God because of our sin and shame. The devil knows your sin. It can no longer separate you, but your shame can. And he will throw it on. Look at, look at his activity in Revelations 12. It says, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Everyone say the accuser. Who accuses them 
before our God day and night. He's been hurled down. Wow. You know, the, the devil's accusing you day and night. Man, he, he's going to point to all the things you did wrong. All the ways you messed up. All the silly choices and mistakes. All the time you broke a promise. All, all the times you watched that and did that and spoke like that. He, as much as he can, he's going to remind you about your sin. You know what we call that? Condemnation. Condemnation makes you want to retreat from God. Makes you want to hide from him. And this is where we see the difference between the work of the spirit and the work of the enemy. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He's so gentle in his guidance. He will try and guide you away from sin and make you believe that sin is bad. That's what he does as he guides us. What does the devil do? He wants to guide you away from God and make you believe you are bad. I want to say that again. The Holy Spirit, he's going to guide you away from your sin and make you believe the sin is bad. The devil is going to guide you away from God and make you believe that you are bad. You see, this is what condemnation does. It makes you internalize your sin. It makes you wrap your identity up in your sin and not what the Holy Spirit might say, hey, you failed there at that. The devil says, you are a failure. He brands you with your sin. You are an adulterer. You are a thief. You are a liar. And suddenly our identity gets wrapped up with our sin and we feel so condemned that we do not come to God because we know we don't want to bring our sin into God's presence. And there's a separation that comes between us and God. With every mistake we make, with every sin we commit, often that rift just gets wider and wider and wider. And so here I want to give you the last truth of today. It's a truth you and I must understand and it's this. The Holy Spirit does not condemn you. He does not condemn you. Listen to the famous, most famous quoted scripture in all of the Bibles, John 3.16, right? But it's a pity we stop there. Because listen to what it says in the next few verses from 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Look at someone and say, I'm not condemned. In Romans 8 verse 1, it tells us that there is now no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And one of the ways you know that the Holy Spirit is doing a work and not the devil is when the Holy Spirit convicts you, when he guides you away from your sin, it will always cause you to run back to God. Anytime the Holy Spirit is pointing out something in your life, it always causes you to go back to God, not separate yourself from him. You run back like the son in the parable of the prodigal son. You run back to the father. There's a realization I can go back home. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, leading you away from sin, but always leading you towards the father. How do you know if it's a work of the devil in your life? Because he's always leading you away from the father because of your sin, not towards your father. Church, 
when you truly start to understand that there is now no condemnation, that I wasn't saved because I'm sinless, that my sin has in fact been paid for and that the power of sin has been broken, when I understand that the Holy Spirit has called me to righteous living but at the same time does not condemn me, you know what starts to happen? The gap between my sin and my repentance gets shorter and shorter and shorter. You know what happens when you sin and the devil wants to throw it in your face and make you think about it all the time? If you're feeling condemned, it can cause you to hide from God for hours, if not days, if not weeks, and sometimes years. You get stuck in your condemnation and you start thinking, I don't know if I can go back to God. How do I, how do I talk to him again after I did that? He must be so ashamed of me. How, how does he look at me? And I don't know, God must be so disappointed. And the devil starts to whisper, oh, you're such a failure. You call yourself a Christian? <laughs> do you think God's going to forgive you again? Come on. Come on you, how many times have you spoken to God about this? Come on, how many times? You think, he's, you think he's a fool? You really, you just call yourself a Christian, but you don't act like a Christian. You don't live like a Christian. You're not worthy to be called a son of God. You're not worthy to be called a daughter of God. And he's beating you up and it just makes you, it makes you just hide from God for a long time. And you start thinking, how would I ever earn myself back into God's good books? How will I ever earn myself into God's good graces? What would I have to do? What hoops would I have to jump through to get back to God? Church, that is a condemnation of the devil. Here's what the Holy Spirit will lead you to do. As close as possible to your realization of sin, he will lead you straight back to God with no gap. No gap. Right? You are as forgiven whether you ask for forgiveness one minute after your sin or 10 years after your sin. But that gap shows your understanding of condemnation. And the more you realize there is no condemnation, the quicker you run back to the Father. At the moment of sin, when you realize what I have done is not of God, the Holy Spirit leads you back straight away. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry, and I believe your word in 1 John 1, 9, that you are faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. There's two words that he's faithful. He'll do it every time, and he's just. Jesus has received the punishment of your sin already, so he will forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so what the Holy Spirit wants to do as we sin and we get up and we sin again and we get up, he wants us at the moment we realize we've sinned, to straight away say, God, I'm coming back to you. I'm not spending time in the desert. I'm not wandering around in my shame. I don't have to earn some kind of thing. I don't have to pay penance. I don't have to walk around whipping myself on the back until I feel so bad. Now maybe I can pray again. No, no, no. That's a devil's work, church. The Holy Spirit says there's no condemnation. Your sins have been paid for. At the moment of your sin, come back home. Don't play with that stuff. Come back home. Come back home. You know, the other day I had to take my car to a mechanic because <clears throat> there's a little engine light that came out in my car. Anyone, any of you know that engine light that sometimes comes up? Right, so like, I always have to ask for help. I am incredibly stupid with cars. So the light comes on, I'm like, oh my word, my car's gonna fall apart, right? So like, find a mechanic, 
He tells me there's something wrong, tells me what the light means, and has to leave it there for a few days and pay for it. So I leave it there and I pay for it. A few days later, I come back and I get my car and it tells me it's fixed. I'm like, great. So I drive out with my car and guess what happens on my dashboard? Bloop. And immediately I'm irritated. It's like, but I paid all that money, right? So I come back and I'm very nice because I have a love just as you asked to go in my car. And I'm like, hey, hey, I just want to check. You know that repair I paid for? It still has a light on the dashboard. And he says, oh, no, don't worry. It has been fixed already. I just need to reset the light. And I was like, but doesn't the light go off automatically once this fault is fixed? He's like, no, you actually have to reset it. You've got to tell it that it's done. And I thought, that's like conviction and condemnation, right? Because when I sin, there's a light on my spiritual dashboard. Bloop. Tells me there's an issue. There's an error. And I need to take that in and have that dealt with with God. And I need to repent. But if I walk away and I haven't reset my faith, I haven't by faith received the repentance, that light stays on my dashboard and I'm super distracted by it as I try and keep my car on the road of life. I'm always reminded of the error and the devil wants to do that in your life. He just wants to go, bloop, there's an error, bloop, there's an error, bloop, there's an error, even though it's been done. It's been paid for. Sometimes I wonder how the conversations go with Jesus, right? We come and say, oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And Jesus is like, yes, my son, you're forgiven. Oh, Jesus, please, please, please forgive me. Please, please forgive me. Yes, my son, you're, you're forgiven. I paid for that. It's done. It's done. The next day, Jesus, please. Please, Lord, please. It's like, what are you talking about? I forgot about that yesterday. A week later, Jesus, please, Lord, I need forgiveness in my life. I'm so tired of feeling bad. Please forgive me. Jesus is like, I forgave you already. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know how that plays out. I don't know if I hope like in heaven, we're going to have cinemas where we can just watch these things happening. Sometimes we need to press reset in our faith and say, Jesus, by faith, I receive what you have done for me, right? I consider myself forgiven. I consider myself set free from sin and free from its power. I consider myself cleansed. And I come to your presence every time I sin and I come boldly into your throne of grace knowing that there is no condemnation here. There's only grace. There's only mercy. There's only forgiveness. Church, the devil cannot keep you away from God with your sin, but he will make you hide. Do not let him. Do not let him. It's in those hiding places where many faiths have been shipwrecked and people start to say, ah, what's the point? It's so hard to get back. I tried that Christian thing. I couldn't get it right. Listen, sin is part of our faith. It's part of our Christian experience, but it has no power over you. And when you fall in its trap, forgiveness and grace is there. I want to ask you today, which of those truths need to become true for you? Because here's what I know. 
You're not saved because you were sinless. You're saved because Jesus, he's sinless. I know that sin, your sin is no longer held against you. I know that you have been set free from the power of sin. And because of that, you've been called to righteous living. And the Holy Spirit, he's going to help guide you towards righteousness. He's going to guide you away from sin. And when we engage and dwell in and love that lifestyle, it grieves the Spirit. But when we come back to him, there's no condemnation. No condemnation. Perhaps it's time for you to reset the light on your dashboard and say, Jesus, I believe I'm forgiven. I believe it. Can I pray for you? God, I want to pray for your people. I thank you for love. I thank you for grace we don't deserve. Jesus, thank you for the cross. We'd be so lost without it. We'd be lost trying to earn our way back. Trying to live some perfect life that we are incapable of living. But thank you, Jesus, you did it for me. You took my punishment. Thank you for the cross. Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that in our lives you come and make us more righteous. That you guide us away from sin. And I thank you, it's a gift, Holy Spirit. Your guidance is a gift, that conviction is a gift. So we thank you for your voice in our lives and I pray for anyone who has maybe deadened or ignored your voice, Holy Spirit, make us sensitive again to your voice that's leading us away from sin. I believe there's some of you right now, man, the devil has been having a field day with you. He's been making you feel so bad about your sin and your past and your mistakes and those things you've done. It's affected your sense of self-worth and your identity, that you've wrapped up your identity with your sin. And the truth of God's word today is you are not your sin. You are a child of God. You have been set free from the power of that sin. It has no hold over you. It is not held against you. And the price for that sin, no matter how big or bad, it has been paid for already. All you have to do is press reset and say, by faith, I receive that forgiveness. For those of you who have been hiding from God because you felt so bad about what you've done, it's time to come out of hiding right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Come out of hiding. Come back to God. Come back to God. Maybe right now you need to speak to Him for the first time in a while. Say, God, I'm coming back and I'm sorry, but I receive your forgiveness. There might be something you want to confess in your life. Just pray right now, God, I'm sorry, but I receive, I receive the gap between my sin and my forgiveness. It's going to get shorter. I'm going to run back to you as soon as I can. As soon as I can, I understand there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, go back to God. He's not waiting for you to become sinless before you come back to Him. You were never sinless to begin with. Go back to God. As I said earlier, I believe there's some of you today, you're realizing maybe for the first time, hey, I am a sinner and I do need Jesus. That the Holy Spirit's doing that to you today. And I'm so excited if He's doing that to you. If you want to become a Christian today, I'm so excited because because you can receive that gift right now. You can become a Christian right now. All it takes is a prayer. And just so I know who I'm praying for, with every eye closed, if you want to pray that prayer, if you want me to pray with you, just put up your hand and put it down. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, hands all over this room. Beautiful with the Holy Spirit. He is busy. He's busy. Well, as a sign of just family support, I would like us to all pray this prayer together. But if you're praying this prayer for the first time, I want you to pray it with all of your heart. And so you can just repeat these words after me. Dear God, thank you for finding me. Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing me home. Jesus Christ, I give my life to you. From this day forward, I'm so sorry for my sin, for everything I've done in my life. Please take my sin away. I receive your forgiveness by faith. Right now, I thank you for making me brand new. Jesus Christ, I believe in you. I believe you are the Son of God and that you lived and died and rose again. And so today I declare you are Lord of all and you are Lord of my life. I give myself to you. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. We need to celebrate what God just did in the room. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. And I want to say to the many who prayed that prayer today, uh, that's just step one of a lifelong journey. And God's actually given you church and Christian community to help you in that journey. You're not alone in this. And so kind of one of the things we want to help is just resource you with what to do next. So on your way out the doors, you're going to see some ushers holding some little packs, some brochures. Please grab one of these brochures on your way out. Thanks, Donald. And uh, it's just going to give you some next steps, like what to do now, and give you some advice on how you can start this relationship with Jesus. And you'll see this little tear off. Please, I want to ask you to fill it in. If you take one of these, please fill this in, even if it's just your name and number, um, and tear this off, and then leave it at the info desk, because we want to be in touch with you and just see how can we help you and pray for you and resource you. For you guys online, we haven't forgotten about you. If you pray that prayer, go on our website at nlchurch.coza. And there's a button there on the homepage that says salvation. Click on that button and it takes you to this exact thing. And we'd love to be in touch with you guys as well. But I want you to remember, you're free from sin and you're no longer condemned. Look at someone and give them those two truths. I'm free from sin and I'm no longer condemned. Free from sin.